With each module's curriculum, the expertise of the Inner MBA faculty moves us forward in our journey to become more wise and compassionate at work. We've created this podcast platform so that these sessions are available to you not only on the learning platform, but also here in audio format. It's our hope that having the core curriculum available in this way will enable you to experience these teachings at your own pace and in the way that works best for you. It's just great to be here in the kickoff of the Inner MBA, and it's great to be speaking to you all as we begin this fabulous journey that we're doing. Um, let me suggest that uh, I begin to tell you a little bit about myself. In other words, why am I sitting here talking to you and playing this role in the Inner MBA? And I'll first start by saying, in many ways, I come from the tradition of the bodily arts. Um, I started uh, martial arts when I was about 12 years old. Came from a Navy family. We moved all the time. Um, always, always a new kid in class. There was always cat calls and taunts. And um, so I had to kind of adjust myself to that. And then if there was other pushes, if other young adolescents were testing me and pushing me, I would always push back. Um, and then there would be these scraps or bloody noses or torn t-shirts. And, um, you know, I wasn't a bully as my mother thought I was, but basically I was just, had reached a limit and I would just push back and get in these scraps. And, um, so she went to pick me up at a, the principal's office one day, um, and upset my father's at sea. He's been, he won't be back for another six months. And the vice principal says you should put him in judo because um, this will help him to learn discipline. And uh, it horrified my mother. He'll be a better fighter. Um, why are we putting him in judo? She says, no, trust me, it'll, it'll work. Went to this big hangar, big, huge hangar, a gazillion things going on, volleyball, um, badminton, um, wrestling, uh, all these activities like pandemonium and at the far side of the corner was these group of men in these white geese are called geese white pants white jackets and one would pick one up over his shoulder and throw him down and the guy that was thrown down would get up with a smile on his face and go pick the other guy up and throw him down and um, I looked at that and uh, you know as an adult it was like seeing beauty it was just like seeing beauty. You know, like John Keats, the poet said, beauty is truth and truth is beauty. And I didn't for a moment go, wow, I'll be able to beat up Billy or I'll be able to defend myself. It just looked like this extraordinary moment of elegance and grace. And I wanted my body to be in that moment of releasing another body into gravity. Um, so I studied judo. Judo, we would move. I would do judo again. Uh, if there's no judo, I did karate. I did jujitsu. 
and um, went on and on and was ranked in all those arts. And um, I was in the Marine Corps, taught hand-to-hand -hand combat. And for the past 47 years, I've been involved in a martial art called Aikido. Aikido, it's a Japanese martial art. It's non-competitive. And Aikido basically means how do you become in harmony with energy? How do you become in harmony with life? Very competent martial art, but a really different ethic to it. Um, so that plus I went to university on a um, athletic scholarship, a track scholarship, and um, ran for the uh, national team. I was an All-American in track and field. And I ran for the American team in both the pre-Olympic meet in Mexico City and the Central American Games. So you can see I came from this world of the body. And really the things that it taught me and continue to be deeply in me is that it's immeasurable to have a good teacher. Just extraordinary to have a good teacher. And teacher, coach, guide, mentor, counselor, somebody that's been down this path and can help you in your in your um, gaining proficiency as a leader um, I learned that if I, I learned that we get better at something by practice now that's not like rock, rocket science um, if you're a golfer if you're a tennis player you know any of those kinds of things you go the more I practice I'll get better what I would claim is that there's the same way that you become an exemplary leader is through practices and it's through practices that you become this exemplary leader i learned that um the, the the really the joy the fantastic joy of being with other people who are studying the same thing and if we really competed together and we had a sense of our inner competition in other words i would i would um get better because of everybody else uh, it elevated everybody. Everybody went up. You know, so, some, you know I, I ran at an international level in track and field, and I tell people what I learned how to do is I learned how to lose. Um, that's what I learned. Um, why do I say that? Because I ran with people who were gold medalists in the Olympics, went on to professional sports. But each time I ran, if my time got better, then I, when I'm increasing, I'm getting better too. But some of them were thoroughbreds, and I was I was a saddle horse. Um, and the notion of learning how to lose and still have a sense of winning internally is a tremendous foundation that is really missing in present day leaders. I'll leave you with this notion of using the body this way has to do with the muscular system. That has to do with taking action. One of the things that exemplary leaders do, embodied leaders do, is they can take skillful action. What do I mean by that? Minimum effort, maximum output. I'd also like you to know that I've been in a meditation practice, mindfulness meditation practice, since 1969. And um, when I was in India and traveling back from Southeast Asia and um, studied with somebody who I would say at that point in my life looked at like the first true human being I'd ever met. He had a very strong presence, a very strong sense of inner calm. 
and he was doing extraordinary things for people. He had a free hospital. He fed people for free. He had an eye clinic that he had all over northern India. And um, uh, I asked him, uh, I see you have students. I'd like to study with you. In other words, I want to get some of what you have. And he said, you're not ready. And um, uh, I said, what do I have to do get, to get ready? He said, go, go off, do these things. And um, being a type A personality, I worked really hard. I kind of probably forgot what I was getting ready for. But all of a sudden, I come back. And he said, this is the shorthand. He said, sit down, sit down and shut up. Now, there was more involved in terms of what it meant to meditate, what it meant to develop a mindful attitude. Um, but I have been meditating all this time, too. So that's over, well, that's over 50 years. I've been in a meditation practice. And I've had many quarrels with God about it in the meantime. So I'm still cooking and all that. And um, we can say one of the things that embodied powerful leaders have is they're able to manage their attention. Their attention doesn't control them. Their emotions don't control them. We know that people that are both fulfilled and successful in life can concentrate, for example. And they're authoring their own attention. Energy follows attention. That's what you learn when you begin a meditation or mindfulness practice. Let me say that's one of the things you learn. It's just a rich, rich world. If we think of that as the, in the objective correlate as the body, that's your nervous system. Action would be your muscular system. This is your nervous system. You're building your nervous system just as if you had a pair of weights and you're building up your biceps. You're concentrating on something, your attention goes off, you bring it back. You build that capacity to, when you go off track to bring yourself back to track. Third, I'd like to say that um, one of the things that I learned, I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and one of the main things that I learned in psychology, among many other things, and I worked with a wide, wide range of people in a wide range, wide range of environments, is that um, our, our emotional life and our moods are central to how we are uh, avid learners, how are we are to um, uh, uh, skillful leaders, how we're able to guide and motivate people in a particular way. And that we live in an environment where we're really being asked at work, leave the emotions in your trunk of your car, you know, um, leave it in your back seat, leave all that behind and just come in and get to work. And now we know that the American Medical Association will say, People will, 90% um, uh, plus visits, physician visits, people don't know how to deal with their stress. And that's because we're not paying attention to our emotional life. Of course, we're rational beings and we're emotional beings. We're not paying attention to the mood that we are in. That's what we would say is our organ system, our gut, our heart, our lungs, our liver, 
all of those things in that darkness in there, out of those things be, uh, are produced the emotional life that we have. And the emotional life that becomes fulfilling for us, that we're able to experience joy as well as deep grief. We're able to experience the whole notion of being able to, to take a stand for what we care about, to use our, our force and our anger in a very skillful way. It has to do with very much that, how do we soften? How can we be more compassionate? How can we relax all that armoring around the heart to soften so we can connect with people? Um, so, you know, in my dissertation I wrote, the title of my dissertation was The Mind-Body Interface. So I've been studying this notion of mastery, of awakening, of how do, we be, how do we produce exemplary leaders for a long time in a wide range of people. I've studied linguistics and language because that's really part of us. I've studied inner uh, um, systems, uh, family systems, uh, group systems, industrial, corporate systems also. But those three things in summation would be, how do we take skillful action? Um, how do we able to use our attention effectively so we're able to become present, open, and connected, and to be able to motivate and mobilize others? How we're able to listen to somebody's emotion. Emotion, I don't mean we have, we're emotional. I mean that we're emotional beings. And we allow that in the workplace and to be able to use that, that passion that comes from emotion to be able to be creative and innovative. So over and over again, I'll be asking you to pay attention to those things as we move forward in new practices. Thank you.